Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. The scripture passage for today is 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 to 10. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Please, please be seated. All right, good morning, church. As you see, the first uh, thing that happens, kids are going to children's church and reminder to parents to pick them up uh, right before, right after you take communion. If you're visiting this morning, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church, and we are in a, a six-week sermon series, a couple weeks in, called Christian Practices, where we are looking at five different practices that our church uh, does uh, throughout our lives as we live out the calling of Jesus. Uh, sometimes churches uh, talk about values, we talk about practices. It's an older Christian term uh, that talks about how the habits of the Christian life form us and also reveal where our heart is. And so we're going through each one of these five practices. Last week we considered the practice of worship. Today we're going to consider the practice of Christian witness. Uh, then we're going to consider the practice of fellowship followed by service and stewardship. And one of the things that we're doing, especially those that are involved in community groups, is we're going through this weekly rhythm as we're going through each one of these practices where we come to a Sunday gathering, which is what you're at right now. You learn about a practice, and I'm encouraging each one of you to commit to a rule, a rule of life. Again, using very old Christian language to talk about like practical ways that you're going to establish a new habit associated with this practice uh, to kind of uh, work that muscle in a new way in your Christian life. And then you go and you practice that rule and you come back to you with your household or friends or your community group and you discuss how it's going. Uh, how, how, how did the successes look? How did the struggles look? And to learn from others that are trying to do the same thing. So that's uh, essentially what our weekly rhythm is looking like as we're going through this sermon series. Uh, so as I said, today we're going to look at the practice of Christian or gospel witness. And I wanted to give a disclaimer before I pray because uh, throughout our entire time of being a church, one of the things we've cultivated in this community is an openness for folks to be here even if you have doubts about the Christian faith, even if you don't identify with the Christian faith, that we wanted this to be a community for skeptics, for people exploring spiritual things. But if that's you this morning and we're about to have a sermon about Christian witness, or as I'll say, it's our way of saying evangelism, that could be a little bit weird because it's a sermon about how to reach those who do not believe in the Christian faith. And so that can kind of maybe seem weird 
or awkward. So I want to let you know and maybe address you briefly before I pray that just please know that this is, this is not just some type of talk that's trying to uh, train a church to do a sales pitch or to try to market religion to those who are outside the church. This sermon and the practice of gospel witness is about a deep and real transformative love that we have experienced that we want to invite all people into that experience and to explore it for themselves. It's about a supernatural activity where God uses scrubs like us to do profound things in those outside of this Christian community. So at the end of this message, if you consider yourself more of a skeptic, I hope that you're thinking not so much, wow, that was, that was really awkward. Uh, that was a really awkward sermon about how to reach people like me. But maybe more something like this, wow, if Christians really believe this gospel, then why aren't more churches talking about how to share it with others? And so that's my hope for you today as you lean into the, past, uh, the message today. So let's go ahead and pray and dive into the message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for all the, the stories and experiences that make up the people that are here, the things they're struggling with, the joys that they have. They bring all of that into this space and now get to be in a place that's set apart uh, to hear your word, to sing to Jesus, to pray for your mission, to seek um, gospel proclamation and also justice in our city. Lord, we, we come here because it focuses us on what is true and what is real and what is full of grace and love. So let us hear that message afresh today and get excited uh, once again to share it with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word evangelism? Evangelism. And maybe you're not familiar with that word, but the word is uh, a word that Christians use to describe sharing the good news about Jesus Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for gospel sounds a lot like evangelism, so that's where the word comes from. But usually if you hear a word like that, especially if you have any type of religious Christian background, it's the type of word that might make you nervous or that things come to your mind that make you feel a little bit awkward. Maybe you think about something that's called, uh, that I call, cold call evangelism, where the, the exhortation that I'm about to give you is to go up to complete strangers and share your faith with them, and it's just it's going to feel awkward, and you're not prepped to do it, and you don't know how to do it, and, and, and you're just, it's this intimidating thing to think like, what, are you going to tell me to go door to door to share my faith? Uh, do I have to have a clipboard with me so it's going to be that type of experience? Do I have to go to a street corner and stand on a box? Like, what is that going to look like? Like, maybe if you're like me, you've, you've seen this type of approach before, and I'm a pastor, and when I've been around this approach, I feel awkward, right? I go, I've gone to Timberwolves games or the state fair, and then, you know, somebody's out there with a bullhorn, like, talking about, about the Jesus I love, and I feel awkward because I'm just trying to get some deep-fried fruit on a stick, and then this person that has terrible graphic design skills has a sign and a message, and it just feels really, really awkward, Right? Or maybe the other thing that might come to your mind is something more like event evangelism, like a big tent or a big stadium filled with people and a professional gets up on stage and shares the faith and all these people come to the Lord. And sometimes that's, in those moments they call it 
uh, crisis evangelism. I don't know if you've ever heard this or, or maybe experienced it before, but it basically gets the hearers in the situation of uh, believing and sensing that they're in crisis in order to get them to do an altar call to come up to the front. So it'd be something like, if I did that today, it'd be something like, you might not believe in the gospel right now, but you don't want to leave this place before you give your life to Jesus because you might go out onto Marshall Avenue and get hill, killed and hit by a Tesla, right? And so it's just like, it's just like you, want, you want Jesus now or you want to get hit by a Tesla? So it creates this like crisis to try to get people uh, to come to faith, and it feels a little bit manipulative. So there's all these different things that might come to your mind when you think about evangelism, and it seems intimidating and overwhelming, or even think about your own friends and your own family members who might not share your faith, and you think this wouldn't even be effective uh, to reach them in love and truth. However, one of the things that we learn when we read the scriptures for the Christian life is that we can't just simply pass this task on to others and just say, well, the professionals need to do this, the people that are called to do this, that are really good at that, that share in the faith business. Now, they need to do it, and I can kind of uh, just, just keep it to myself and let the professionals do it. And there is a sense that some people have unique gifts when it comes to sharing their faith uh, and that they're, that they're good at it. But that doesn't mean that all Christians, therefore, if they don't have that gift, they get off the hook. It's kind of like cooking, right? Some people are chefs. They're professionals. They're good at it. They're very, very good at cooking. But you need to manage it as well. Box of mac and cheese, frozen pizza, something to keep yourself alive, right? You don't just pass every task on. There's some things that we're all called to do, and the practice of Christian witness is one of those things. And that's what I want to lean into today, but I hope to do it in a way that seems a little bit more ordinary, down-to-earth, not uh, a big tent revival, not going door-to-door, -door, but something that enters, has the Holy Spirit enter where your life is right now and calls you to practice this in your daily life. So this is how we're going to go about it. First, we're going to define what gospel witness is, then show you through, especially the text that was read, the power of gospel witness, and then I'll share with you some ordinary suggestions or practices for what this could look like in your life. I'll brief, briefly mention there's two books that uh, has a lot of influence for this sermon today. One is a book called Gospel Witness by Professor David Gustafson, and another book by uh, Sam Chan called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And if I have more direct references throughout the sermon, I'll reference those books again. So let's start with defining this practice. What is gospel witness? Evangelism, if you're using that word, includes not only proclaiming the gospel, but testifying, teaching, exhorting, or witnessing to the gospel. And it's this this last kind of way of thinking about it that we use as a practice or to describe the practice of our church. The practice of gospel witness is how our church talks about evangelism, and witness, we use it both as a noun and a verb. Look at Luke 24, 46 through 49. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and, uh, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And we see here what the gospel is. The gospel, this is the, 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 the message that's proclaimed by these witnesses, is the story about Jesus the Christ, 
the Messiah, who he is and what he has done, which is revealed in the scriptures. And you see here right away, the gospel in the Christian faith is not a religious opinion that's to be debated, but it's a fact of history to be proclaimed. That's why the gospel demands a response from those who hear it, because it is an actual message that has power, is grounded in reality and fact, and it brings salvation to those who repent and believe. And so it's not just these disciples, but we too are a people who are witnesses who have experienced the transforming power of the gospel which resulted in faith. And we may not have been there to literally hear these words from Jesus, the resurrected Christ, but this is the gospel that's been passed on to us, and we have witnessed to this day the continued transformation, transformative power of the gospel for those that hear it when it's proclaimed and respond in faith. And so witnessing is, uh, being a witness is something that we are. We all are witness to the gospel, but a witnessing is also something that we practice. Since we have this knowledge of the gospel, we then proclaim the good news of Christ's death and resurrection as the Holy Spirit continues to powerfully do the work of bringing those to faith. So that's the practice of gospel witness. And you can proclaim the gospel uh, and, and to somebody in person. You can sing about the gospel in a song. You can write about the gospel in a book. And all these are different ways you practice gospel witness. It can take place in different locations. It can take place in a gathering like this, in a church building, or around a campfire up north, or at a dining room table in your home or dorm room. Gospel witnessing is not ultimately about how you do it, or where it occurs, it is a practice that's, that in its simplest form is defined by simply proclaiming the message of the gospel and sharing it with others so that people that have faith are nourished by the gospel and those that do not have faith have an opportunity to respond to that message. That's what gospel witnessing is, and that's what the gospel is. And so when you proclaim the gospel through gospel witness, we have a desire that those who hear it respond with repentance and faith. Repentance is a word in the scriptures that talks about changing directions in your life. You're going one way, in this case away from Jesus, and you hear the gospel and you change directions and you start having a life that moves towards him. Or sometimes the scriptures use imagery about a repentance and talk about how it's like changing clothes taking off your old life and putting it on a new life in Jesus Christ. The gospel calls us to repentance and also calls us to faith. Faith in the Christian life is not just knowing facts about Jesus. You can be a religious scholar and know things about Jesus but not have faith. Faith in the Christian life is not knowing things of, only knowing things about Jesus but believing that they are true that he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do, and that you not only hear things about Jesus, but you agree that they're true, and then start to respond with your life by believing in Jesus and remaining in that experience of love and grace throughout your life. So that's what we're calling people to do when we practice gospel witness. Now, one thing that gets kind of confusing when you think about this practice is how does the proclamation part uh, interact with the deeds or the actions of the Christian life. Maybe some of you have heard this quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. 
And it's a good quote because it shows how important words and actions are to gospel witness, but it's often misused by people to say, I don't ever have to say anything about my faith. I just have to show it with my actions. But when you read the scriptures, there's not that disconnect between actions and proclamation when it comes to gospel witness. Look at 1 Peter 3.13 with me. Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter is exhorting Christians who are facing suffering to continue to do the right thing because part of what's happening to them is even though they're doing the right thing, bad things are happening to them. And he's saying to these Christians, keep it up. Don't stop doing the right things because you're suffering. Keep persevering. Don't fear man, but revere Christ, he says. And then he gets to the point that it's going to get the attention of other people. And then Peter writes, prepared, be prepared when that happens, because they're going to ask you, what is going on in your life that it's so weird and countercultural? And when they ask, be prepared to give a response, to share what hope you have in the gospel, and then do it not with animosity and swagger, but with what? Gentleness and respect. And so you see here in this passage that both words and actions are important parts of gospel witness. It reminds me of a quote from uh, one of the authors I already mentioned, David Gustafson, says that gospel witness is about, quote, proclamation and presence, explanation and example, word and works. We do not merely speak of God's mercy towards us in the gospel, but embody mercy in our care of others. As we declare God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we forgive those who have sinned against us. As we speak about Jesus' sacrificial love for the world, we love others, even our enemies. As we speak of Jesus Christ, whose atoning death reconciled us to God, we practice the ministry of reconciliation, being reconciled with others, even those different from us, and exhort others to be reconciled with God. Such demonstrations of the gospel do not undermine the centrality of the gospel message, but adorn it and make the teachings about God our Savior attractive, end quote. And that's the relationship between proclamation and also living out the gospel in your actions. Now, this is where I was probably thinking that you would be at this part of the sermon, feeling a little bit of pressure, because now it's like, okay, Even if it's not a street corner, even if it's not a big event that I'm asking to do this, this still seems to be a big, intimidating thing to do, to share my faith with somebody, to proclaim it not only with my words, but my actions. And and you might be putting a lot of pressure on yourself right now and feeling like, man, even if that's it, that still seems like a lot. That still seems like a crazy amount of pressure to practice this in my daily life. And here I want to expose you to the power of gospel witness where you are reminded that it is not all on you and it's not all about you when you do this. And this comes from a lot of the exposition that Sam Chan shared in his book. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 11 again. And as I read it, you hear some things kind of on the horizontal human level, like you have Paul sharing his faith with some people, they share in the gospel, they respond with repentance and faith. But notice the vertical angle as I read these verses. Notice how God and all the persons of who God is is involved in gospel witness. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 11. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Again, those gospel actions there. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So again, you saw the things that you would expect. Paul has witnessed to the gospel, and there is a group of people from a different city who have heard it, and they turned from their old ways of life and now have faith in the living and true God. But notice there was more going on in the text. It wasn't just a human activity, but you see in verse 5, for example, God the Father chooses. Or in verse 10, it says that Jesus rescued or in verses 5 and 6, that the Holy Spirit gave power and joy, and joy even in the midst of suffering. And what I want you to see in this passage, brothers and sisters, is that when you practice gospel witness, it's not all on you, and it's not all about you. You have certain roles to play, and it's, it's always good to think about it this way. Like, if you're, if you're in a sport, it's always good to know, like, what position do I play on this team? Or if you're a part of a theater... It's good to know what your role is on the cast or crew. If you're at work at a company, it's good to know this is my position within the team with my team of colleagues. In all these situations, you're reminded that you have a role to play, but the whole operation is not up to you, and that's what the practice of gospel witness is like as well. It's not all on you. It's not all about you, and it's not all on you. It's not up to you to choose who is saved and who is not saved. It's God's sovereign grace at work. You don't have the power to rescue people from sin and death. And you don't need to because Jesus already did that. And you do not have the ability to give somebody's heart faith and joy in the Lord. But this passage says that the Holy Spirit has the power to do that. So what is your role? You simply bear witness to the gospel and like leave the rest of it up to God. And that is it. That's it. I think sometimes gospel witnessing is so intimidating because you put so much pressure on you to do it exactly right and have the words and that, that you need to say it just right to try to persuade somebody's heart and to make, make sure that Jesus doesn't look bad. And it's just like you put pressure and pressure and pressure on yourself. But that's not your role in this. It's simply to share the gospel, how it's impacted you, maybe stories from Scripture that you love, and just see what happens. And, and, and to see what God does from there. And, and even with this, you might feel that tension. It's like, well, you're talking a lot about God choosing people, but then we still have to do something in terms of sharing the gospel. Like, how does God's sovereign choice and, and our responsibility to preach the gospel go together? And I'm just saying, embrace that mystery, brothers and sisters, because it is liberating. Take, take, take the tobacco of human responsibility and God's sovereignty, put it in your theological pipe, and smoke it. That's what I'm asking you to do, okay? Because they're both there. It, that mystery is at work, 
every single time you open up your mouth and open your heart to somebody else in faith, there's, there's more than just a human activity going on there. There is a powerful work of God working in ordinary spaces through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what's happening. Amen, church? So let's, the second, the, or I guess it would be the, maybe the last third, maybe the last half of the sermon. We'll see. Uh, I wanted to talk <laughs> a little bit about what would this like, look like, like ordinary practicing of gospel witness. Like what, what kind of ways can we express that? Because even now, I, I do want you to feel the power that's at work. When you, when you do this, that, that God really is there. Every person of the Trinity is involved in your activity of sharing your faith. But you still might think, like, that's really cool. I don't even know where to start. I've never done this very often. I don't feel like I'm good at it. And you still have maybe images in your mind that, that keep everything up here rather than bring it down maybe to street level. And so that's what I want to use this portion of the sermon uh, to do is to hopefully maybe give you different ways of imagining yourself practicing this, especially if you're trying to create different rules of faith uh, in carrying out this practice on your campuses, in your neighborhoods, and your places of work. So here's some of the, some of the ideas, and I, I, some of these are my ideas. Some of them come from Sam Chan's book. I, I kind of mixed a little bit of them together. Uh, but here it goes. The first thing, if you don't know it, where to start absolutely at all, and you're just super intimidated, this is what I would do. This, this is what I would tell you. This should be your rule of faith that you establish. Pray. That's where it starts. This is where it starts every single time. I know that there are people in your life, friends, family, colleagues, that, that don't believe and you love them dearly. But you've never prayed that they would have faith. Or you never prayed for yourself that God would, would lead you to a situation where you could be faithful and loving to share that part of your life with that person. So if, if you don't know where to start, this is where I would say this should be your rule of faith. Pray for people in your life that don't know the Lord, that, that you would love for them to know the Lord and to believe in the Lord. Because prayer often shapes our will to be in sync with God's will. And God's will every single time is that people would know and worship him. So prayer is a beautiful practice a rule of life that you can have in your life that would help you practice gospel witnessing. Here's another tip. Go to people that do not believe. Don't expect them to come to you. That seems like very, very obvious, but, but at some point, uh, somebody's got to initiate this. And we believe in a faith that God has initiated a relationship with us. We love God because he first loved us, the Bible says. And so, too, if you love those in your life that do not know Jesus, one of the things that even shows the gospel to them immediately is by initiating a relationship and a conversation about these things, that you go to their space rather than expecting them to go to yours. Because one of the things, I think this it seems so simple, but there's actually something really profound that's happening in our cultural moment and in our cultural moment, uh, in cities like St. Paul, Minneapolis, other, other cities throughout America, there's a very strict, secular, sacred divide that people experience all the time. All the time. Very strict. And even those outside of the faith feel that strict separation between the two. And how does that feel for those outside of the faith? This is something that I want you to picture. 
Okay, because I know you think about a lot about how it feels as a Christian, but think about somebody that's more secular or maybe grew up in church but doesn't believe anymore uh, or somebody that's never been to church and they're, they're just curious about these things. They, just, they, they want to explore spiritual things, but one of the things that they feel is, well, I can't do that at work. If I ask spiritual questions here, like, people might get offended. I might get fired. Or I can't maybe do that on campus. I might get canceled. Or I might... And they're, and they're thinking in their mind, like, what, what space can I actually ask a question? And, like, it's, it's, it's the space that's designed to do it because most of the spaces uh, that people outside of the church inhibit are secular spaces that say, no, you don't do that here. But here's the other problem for those outside of the church. They, it's rare for them to come to a setting like this because the stereotype is, well, if I go to a church to explore spirituality, well, i got to be a Christian to do that. I can't be a skeptic, I can't be a doubter, I can't be where I'm at because I don't know what I believe. So I can't go to the church because I'm not a Christian. I can't do it at work or these other places because those are secular places. So that's one of the things that I try to shape with folks is like there are so many people that want to have these conversations, but they've never had an individual in their life that went to them and, and opened that up. And when that happens, and this happened to me before so many times, even before when I was a pastor, some people, the way they experience is like, finally, somebody to talk to you about this. I don't have to go to church. I can't do this at work. Finally, I have an outlet because I have all these questions. Like I even, I said this prayer the other day, and I'm not a praying person. Like, I don't know what's going on, and I need somebody to talk to about it. And so the, one of the ways you open up that door is by going to them and, 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 and creating that type of connection. So that's one thing. Another practical suggestion is just you need to go to them because there's so many people in your life that are likely looking for a conversation partner like you to have these conversations about spiritual things. Uh, here's another idea. Start with coffee and eventually work your way to dinner. One of the reasons that I, uh, I say it that way is like, Sometimes I don't think we realize how much the space that we have these conversations in uh, either lends itself to deeper conversations or doesn't. Or sometimes maybe you invite somebody right away, right away to dinner and you just go for it, like you're talking about the faith and you're just like, whoa, like, like you know, spiritually speaking, you're on third base, I wanted to be on first, right? You're, they're just freaking out, just like, how did, we, how did we get here so quickly? Like, so it's just like one of those things that sometimes we just don't understand how even just the, the cultural actions that we take either lends itself to good spiritual conversation or, or it doesn't. So one of the ways just to think about this is like ordinary, like making friends, building communities like this too. Like maybe you have a work relationship and you're like, man, I'm, re I'm really connecting with this person um, and, and I just want to go deeper. Well, usually like a good first step is like, well, maybe after work, go to happy hour or invite that person out to coffee. And one of the reasons that might be less intimidating at first than like, hey, come over for dinner right away, is even from that person's perspective, it's a little safer. Like, dinner's a commitment, guys, especially if it's a person that you've never hung out with before. Like, if you're at a third place, like a coffee house or a pub, I mean, you can go there for like 60 minutes and then you can go home. If, it is, if they didn't enjoy their company with you, they're just like, well, hope that doesn't happen again, and they just go home and that's it, right? And so it's like a good first step. And even the... the the types of conversations that happen in a more public space like that are shaped by the type of place that you're hanging out in. If you're in a coffee house, that it usually involves conversations maybe about sports or weather and work and family. 
and yeah, they're surfacey, but you got to start somewhere. I mean, Minnesotans love to talk about the weather. I mean, it's just like, it's just like you wait five minutes and the weather gives you something else to talk about, right? So it's, it's fine. you got to start somewhere. But after you have these conversations, and not just about sharing your faith, but just even developing friendships, at some point, invite them in for dinner. Because when that setting changes after you've had coffee for a while, it's like, all right, we've talked a lot about the types of things you talk about at a coffee house. But now, sometimes a coffee house isn't a place that you're comfortable going deeper with other topics in. But a dinner uh, in somebody's home that moves from more of a public setting to a private setting, well, that might open up some more doors and curiosity for the relationship to start to go deeper. In the coffee house, you might talk about sports, weather, work, and family, but maybe around a table where you can linger longer than an hour, the conversation starts to go deeper about views on education or politics or someone sharing their own personal health history, whatever it is, and maybe religion. But we'll get there maybe what that could look like in some later uh, practical suggestions too. What I want you to see here is how the setting really does shape the type of conversation that you're having. And if you're building a relationship with somebody, what's an appropriate setting for where you're at? And go for it. Try it out. See what happens. Here's another one. Share your Christian friends. Okay, this seems like, what do I mean by this? And this is, this is probably one of the more important things that I want you to grasp. Um, Sam Chan talks about this in his book, but why does somebody believe what they believe? Why are certain beliefs that people have, like they get the automatic green light, they don't have any critical thinking about it, they're like, yes, I believe that, intuitively, that's true. And others, it's just like, no, that's, I don't believe in that, uh, only ignorant people believe that, whatever, right? We all have this experience. And there's different things that shape what we believe, evidence being part of it, or maybe one's personal experience, are all part of what we, why we believe what we believe. But the most influential reason, and I agree with Chan on this point, is we hold the beliefs that are also reflected in the community and culture around us. And that probably shapes us more powerfully than anything else. Let me give you an example from uh, maybe urban and rural life on a nice, you know, light-hearted political issue. Let's talk about gun rights, okay, right? Let's just, right, go there. I mean, this is, this is again, probably not at a coffee house, more dinner table conversation, okay? Uh, but just, like, think about this, how this works in, like, if you were to have a conversation with somebody in an urban setting versus a rural setting, and I grew up rural, I live in the city now, how would that conversation go? What are the presuppositions? What are the instincts at work? What, what, what's the green light and what's the red light? And you get very, two very different convictions in those settings, right? On how people would view something like gun rights, whether somebody grew up and maybe lives in a rural area versus an urban area. Why one setting might be open to them and another setting would be like, no, that, that's taken away individual rights. So where does that come from? Well, it's probably because those individuals not only have their talking points about it, not only have their own personal experience, but they're also surrounded by their own community and culture that all believes the same thing about gun rights and, and maybe gun restrictions, read similar articles about that, and that they all make the same point. And what happens right now in our society is we're so tribal that these types of different communities rarely interact with one another. They rarely do. They always stay separated, or they, they most of the time do. That's one of the things I've always loved about this Christian community as a side, is that this, this Christian community is one of the most unique places in St. Paul because there's political diversity here. 
Like, you all vote different from one another, have very diverse opinions, and honestly, it's one of the, the weirdest things that happens in the city because, because people are all in their old tribal cocoons. And it's just one of those things that happens when you start to mix it up a little bit. So that's what I mean by sharing your Christian friends. Not only sharing your faith as an individual, but the friendships that you have here and inviting those outside of this church community into those friendships because then what happens it's one thing to be like well you know brian he's kind of a weirdo but he's like the only one in my life that i know that believes in this and part of it is like well actually no i'm a part of a whole community of people that believes in this and and to invite them into those friendships exposes them to a diverse group of christians different personalities different political beliefs uh, different unique stories about how the gospel impacted them and then they get to hear those stories and those experiences too. And now it's not just this one person that believes in this, but he comes from a community that believes into this. And it starts to um, knock down that tribal separation that often happens. So share your Christian friends. You're hanging out with your church friends at a park, playing some cards, going on a trip, on a walk, sharing a meal. Invite those that not only believe, but those that don't believe. And don't do it as a bait and switch. All right, uh, this has happened to me before. You ever, I've had like, you know, old college friends and they're like, hey, I haven't heard from you so long. Like, we should get together. I'm like, yeah, I would love to catch up. And they'd be like, I work for State Farm. I'm selling insurance. I'm like, you, you bait and switched me, right? So that's not like, just be honest. Like, hey, I got some church friends. We're playing some cards. You want to come over? And they might be like, well, that's weird. Bunch of church people, maybe another time, right? But giving people those invitations is, 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 important and it's also powerful because again they most likely if they have a more secular community have never been around a group of christians just playing cards what's it like right what are they going to do are they going to curse right like what's what happens when christians like lose a card game like they just don't know and so you invite them into that community because rarely again do these communities mix so i would encourage you to share your friends I actually, when I was thinking about this point, by the way, I was actually thinking about, like, um, that I'm not even the best person in my house that does this. My kids do this intuitively. They just, like, they have neighborhood friends and classmates. Some of them are spiritual. Some of them are Christian. Some of them are very secular. And they just mix it up. They don't overthink it. Like, they've, they've invited friends to church and to camp and to home. And it's just, they just kind of do it because for them it's about the relationship. And they don't overthink technique or how to say things. It's just like inviting people into your life. All right, here's another one. Ask questions and listen in love. When you do get to a point where somebody that's exploring spiritual things opens up to you, your job right there is not necessarily to correct that person or to pitch some type of religious sale to them, but it's simply to listen and love, get to know them, what their struggles are, what their backstory is, and ask a lot of questions and sincerely in love be interested in their life and their story. That's what you're supposed to do. I think about questions as a way of like you knock onto the door of people's lives and there's different rooms and different situations, different experiences they have, and a question is like knocking on the door to one of those rooms, and it's up to them if they want to open the door or not, but knock on some doors. See what they would open up to you in their life and to see how they have struggled with things of spirituality. And a lot of times, again, they do not have people in their life asking these types of questions because they don't feel like they can go to sacred places and they can't do it in secular places. So this is a way for somebody finally to ask them questions that they might have always been thinking about 
but haven't had a time to express it. Here's another, here, here's another idea. Tell your story. Tell your story. You're a Christian. For some reason, you have a unique story, and there's so many different diverse ways that people come to Christ. There's not just one way of doing it, right? You think about the parable of the prodigal son. It's about someone who rebelled against uh, God but returned home, uh, even though that they've turned their back on the Father. You think about Paul's conversion. It's about a religious zealot who finally realized that one, a person can never be good enough to earn God's grace. Or the life of Timothy in the scriptures shows that someone who grew up in the faith could never remember a time that he did not believe in the gospel, and he too has a story to share. And each one of your stories is unique and valuable. So if you've never done this before, practice sharing your story. Uh, if it's intimidating to do that with folks outside the church, start with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever shared your story? It's fine if you do it differently each time, but sometimes just practicing that uh, is, is something that is a valuable thing to do because at some point, somebody's going to ask, well, why do you believe in this? What happened in your life? And you can go there. If that's even intimidating for you, one of the other things you can try to practice is sharing your favorite parable, miracle, portion of Scripture. Like, ever practice, like, telling a parable that you love from Scripture or, like, uh, memorizing a portion of Scripture that really impacts you? That's another way to share your faith. In what ways has the Scriptures taken hold of your heart and practice sharing that with those who believe and don't believe. And here's the last one. This, again, will be quick, uh, and then we'll get to the conclusion. Participate in the starting of new churches or revitalizing existing churches. I still believe that one of the more effective ways to witness to the gospel in our city is by starting new churches. This was a church plant about, what, 12, 13 years ago. This was a community in a living room at a home in Highland Park, and it's grown into this. And one of the biggest ways that you can impact the cities and, and, and create venues where people can explore the Christian life is through church planning. And this isn't a sermon about, uh, about church planning, so I can't get into all the details. But maybe if, if you're, one of the reasons is like, if you're in a setting like this and you're thinking about like this practice of Christian witness, if it's a bigger church or even a, a middle-sized church or whatever size this is, I don't know where you rank this one, but the, this, this church it's still big enough to kind of look around and say, like, ah, somebody else is doing this. Like, I don't have to do this. It's the same reason, like, you get an email uh, and, and uh, maybe to volunteer for something or you're on a, a large work team. And it's like, hey, can somebody do this? And you immediately think, well, this went to, like, 10 people. That somebody ain't going to be me. Somebody else is going to do it, right? And so, but in a smaller church, like, like a, a church that's trying to revitalize a new church plant, it's very obvious. Like, no, it's just, it's just you all in the living room. And in order to grow this, you have to practice gospel witness and practice some gospel hospitality and create these venues and not be like a Minnesotan that never invites people into your home, but you actually do it and invite people into your home and into your faith to explore these things. And if you are at all curious about joining one of these types of new church planning efforts, I got a list for you. I can, I can point you to a church in South Minneapolis, West St. Paul, North Minneapolis, Highland Park here of St. Paul. And if that's really boring and you want something more exotic, we can think Ireland, uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, or Kenya. All right, so these are all like ministry partners you have. And if you really want to go for it, one of the best ways of practicing gospel witness is in a setting of a new church taking place. Okay, let me conclude with this. Um, me, I was just reflecting this week, one of the things I reflected on as I was preparing this sermon is just 
thinking about uh, my life, even all, going all the way back to high school and thinking about the people that I've either, either got to lead to Jesus or have had a hand in being part of that person coming to Christ and just had this really sense of like just being overwhelmed. Uh, the joy of leading high school friends and their parents to Christ or college students or family members or folks here from Trinity um, or even, and even family members of, of you all being able to have a part in leading folks to Jesus has been a great joy of my ministry. I've seen people recently come to faith and uh, have seen it in uh, different chapters of my life. Uh, and, and even to be clear in sharing all that, I, I, it's not like, oh, I see somebody come to Jesus like every day. It's just like, it's just like a handful of people that, that come to mind that I even know about. And I'm talking about over decades of being a Christian. Um, but reflecting over my life at, at the small ways that the Lord has used my lame attempts to share the gospel, I get, I get overwhelmed. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. So I wanted to share something with you from my own life. Uh, and I intentionally chose a story that happened in high school because I don't want you to be like, well, of course, Brian does this and practices this. He's a professional Christian. This is before any Bible training, any, any seminary degree. This is high school Brian that had a recent conversion experience that loved Jesus but still swore a lot, okay? This is, this is who I was, right? I was, I was just trying to figure it out. And I remember that I still had a lot of friends that, that I, I partied with and would still hang out with them and uh, often um, would just try to do the best to share the gospel and what's happened to me. And uh, sometimes I would even have uh, conversations with their parents and um, I don't remember uh, a lot of these, but it was just, it wasn't that long ago that I got this random message uh, from one of my old high school's friend's mom. And she says this, I'll, I'll just quote her message to me. She's just randomly dropped this in my Facebook account. She said, I, I just want you to know that your prayers and the prayer bombs and love along with all the prayers of others led me to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ on December 31st. 2009. Thank you and God bless you. That was a good day getting that message. I was just like, I didn't, I didn't even know this happened. I didn't even know this person became a Christian. I don't even remember praying for her, but she does. And he, she even quotes me. I actually remember like she said that phrase like prayer bombs. I was like, oh yeah, I used to say that. And I used to tell people that. I'd be like, I'm going to drop a prayer bomb on you. I'm like, you don't believe in Jesus, but I got some prayer bombs coming your way. Like, I would say stuff like that as a high, like, I totally forgot that I used to talk like that. And this mom, when I knew you, when I knew her, like, in high school, like, she literally was a pagan. Like, I don't say that uh, in a cheeky way. Like, she literally believed in pagan religion and followed that religion. And she was also in a heavy battle against drug and alcohol addiction. And I was mainly friends with her son, and, but I, would, uh, I remember having some conversations with her, and I guess I, I told her that I was praying for her. And I slightly remember her being kind of offended by that because of what she believed. Uh, and that was pretty much it. I haven't heard or thought about her for, for decades. And I randomly get this message. And this is something when I was young, I was young struggling in the faith, no formal training, but God used this like scrubby, high school attempt at sharing the gospel, and I find out years later that the triune God showed up in those moments and changed somebody's life forever.
And that is what it's all about. And if high school version me can do it, you guys have a lot more maturity than that, let me tell you, brothers and sisters. So that's the practice of gospel witness.